part two chapter nine of a raw youth this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. a raw youth by fyodor dostoyevsky translated by constance garnett part two chapter nine the day had ended with a catastrophe there remained the night and this is what i remember of that night i believe it was one o'clock when i found myself in the street it was a clear still and frosty night i was almost running and in horrible haste but not towards home why home can there be a home now home is where one lives i shall wake up to-morrow to live but is that possible now life is over it is utterly impossible to live now i thought and as i wandered about the streets not noticing where i was going and indeed i don't know whether i meant to run anywhere in particular i was very hot and i was continually flinging open my heavy raccoon-lined coat no sort of action can have any object for me now was what i felt at that moment and strange to say it seemed to me that everything about me even the air i breathed was from another planet as though i had suddenly found myself in the moon everything the town the passers-by the pavement i was running on all of these were not mine this is the palace square and here is st isaac's floated across my mind but now i have nothing to do with them everything had become suddenly remote it had all suddenly become not mine i have mother and liza but what are mother and liza to me now everything is over everything is over at one blow except one thing that i am a thief for ever how can i prove that i am not a thief is it possible now shall i go to america what should i prove by that versilov will be the first to believe i stole it my idea what idea what is my idea now if i go on for fifty years for a hundred years some one will always turn up to point at me and say he's a thief he began his idea by stealing money at roulette was there resentment in my heart i don't know perhaps there was strange to say i always had perhaps from my earliest childhood one characteristic if i were ill-treated absolutely wronged and insulted to the last degree i always showed at once an irresistible desire to submit passively to the insult and even to accept more than my assailant wanted to inflict upon me as though i would say all right you have humiliated me so i will humiliate myself even more look and enjoy it to charlotte beat me and tried to show i was a lackey and not the son of a senator and so i promptly took up the role of a lackey i not only handed him his clothes but of my own accord i snatched up the brush and began brushing off every speck of dust without any request or order from him and ran after him brush in hand in a glow of menial devotion to remove some particle of dirt from his dress-coat so much that he would sometimes check me himself and say that's enough arcady that's enough 
he would come and take off his overcoat and i would brush it fold it carefully and cover it with a check silk handkerchief i knew that my schoolfellows used to laugh at me and despise me for it i knew it perfectly well but that was just what gratified me since they want me to be a lackey well i am a lackey then if i am to be a cad well i will be a cad i could keep up a passive hatred and underground resentment in that way for years well at zertschikoff's i had shouted to the whole room in an absolute frenzy i will inform against you all roulette is forbidden by the police and i swear that in that case too there was something of the same sort i was humiliated searched publicly proclaimed a thief crushed well then i can tell you you have guessed right i am worse than a thief i am an informer recalling it now that is how i explain it at the time i was incapable of analysis i shouted that at the time unintentionally i did not know indeed a second before that i should say it it shouted itself the characteristic was there already in my heart there is no doubt that i had begun to be delirious while i was running in the streets but i remember quite well that i knew what i was doing and yet i can confidently assert that a whole cycle of ideas and conclusions were impossible for me at that time i felt in myself even at those moments that some thoughts i was able to think but others i was incapable of in the same way some of my decisions though they were formed with perfect consciousness were utterly devoid of logic what is more i remember very well that at some moments i could recognize fully the absurdity of some conclusion and at the same time with complete consciousness proceed to act upon it yes crime was hovering about me that night and only by chance was not committed i suddenly recalled tatiana pavlovna's saying about versilov he'd better have gone at night to the nikolaevsky railway and have laid his head on the rails they'd have cut it off for him for a moment that idea took possession of all my feelings but i instantly drove it away with a pang at my heart if i lay my head on the rails and die they'll say to-morrow he did it because he stole the money he did it from shame no for nothing in the world and at that instant i remember i experienced a sudden flash of fearful anger to clear my character is impossible floated through my mind to begin a new life is impossible too and so i must submit become a lackey a dog an insect an informer a real informer while i secretly prepare myself and one day suddenly blow it all up into the air annihilate everything and every one guilty and innocent alike so that they will all know that this was the man they had all called a thief and then kill myself i don't remember how i ran into a lane somewhere near konovardyevsky boulevard for about a hundred paces on both sides of this lane there were high stone walls enclosing backyards behind the wall on the left i saw a huge stack of wood a long stack such as one sees in timber yards and more than seven feet higher than the wall i stopped and began pondering in my pocket i had wax matches in a little silver match-box i repeat i realized quite distinctly at the time what i was thinking about and what i meant to do and so i remember it even now but why i meant to do it i don't know i don't know at all i only know that i suddenly felt a great longing to do it 
to climb over the wall is quite possible i reflected at that moment i caught sight of a gate in the wall not two paces away probably barred up for months together standing on the projection below and taking hold of the top of the gate i could easily climb on to the wall i reflected and no one will notice me there's no one about everything's still and there i can sit on the wall and easily set fire to the wood stack i can do it without getting down for the wood almost touches the wall the frost will make it burn all the better i've only to take hold of a birch log with my hand and indeed there's no need to reach a log at all i can simply strip the bark off with my hand while i sit on the wall set light to it with a match and thrust it into the stack and there will be a blaze and i will jump down and walk away there will be no need to run for it won't be noticed for a long while that was how i reasoned at the time and all at once i made up my mind i felt an extraordinary satisfaction and enjoyment and i climbed up i was very good at climbing gymnastics had been my speciality at school but i had my overboots on and it turned out to be a difficult task i succeeded somehow in catching hold of one very slight projection above and raised myself i lifted my other hand to clutch the top of the wall but at that instant i slipped and went flying backwards i suppose i must have struck the ground with the back of my head and must have lain for two or three minutes unconscious when i came to myself i mechanically wrapped my fur coat about me feeling all at once unbearably cold and scarcely conscious of what i was doing i crept into the corner of the gateway and sat crouching and huddled up in the recess between the gate and the wall my ideas were in confusion and most likely i soon fell into a doze i remember now as it were in a dream that there suddenly sounded in my ears the deep heavy clang of a bell and i began listening to it with pleasure two the bell rang steadily and distinctly once every two or three seconds it was not an alarm bell however but a pleasant and melodious chime and i suddenly recognized that it was a familiar chime that it was the bell of st nicolay's the red church opposite two shards the old-fashioned moscow church which i remembered so well built in the reign of czar alexey mihailovich full of tracery and with many domes and columns that easter was only just over and the new-born little green leaves were trembling on the meagre birches in touchard's front garden the brilliant evening sun was pouring its slanting rays into our classroom and in my little room on the left where a year before touchard had put me apart that i might not mix with counts and senators children there was sitting a visitor yes i who had no relations and suddenly got a visitor for the first time since i had been at touchard's i recognized this visitor as soon as she came in it was mother though i had not seen her once since she had taken me to the village church and the dove had flown across the cupola we were sitting alone together and i watched her strangely many years afterwards i learned that being left by versilov who had suddenly gone abroad she had come on her own account to moscow paying for the journey out of her small means and almost by stealth without the knowledge of the people who had been commissioned to look after her and she had done this solely to see me it was strange too that when she came in and talked to touchard she did not say one word to me of being my mother 
she sat beside me and i remember i wondered at her talking so little she had a parcel with her and she undid it in it there turned out to be six oranges several gingerbread cakes and two ordinary loaves of french bread i was offended at the sight of the bread and with a constrained air i announced that our food was excellent and that they gave us a whole french loaf for our tea every day never mind darling in my foolishness i thought maybe they don't feed them properly at school don't be vexed my own and antonina vasilievna touchard's wife will be offended my schoolfellows will laugh at me too won't you have them perhaps you'll eat them up please don't and i did not even touch her presence the oranges and gingerbread cakes lay on the little table before me while i sat with my eyes cast down but with a great air of dignity who knows perhaps i had a great desire to let her see that her visit made me feel ashamed to meet my schoolfellows to let her have at least a glimpse that she might understand as though to say see you are disgracing me and you don't understand what you are doing oh by that time i was running after touchard with a brush to flick off every speck of dust i was picturing to myself too what taunts i should have to endure as soon as she was gone from my schoolfellows and perhaps from touchard himself and there was not the least friendly feeling for her in my heart i only looked sideways at her dark-coloured old dress at her rather coarse almost working-class hands at her quite coarse shoes and her terribly thin face there were already furrows on her forehead though antonina vasilievna did say that evening after she had gone your mamma must have been very pretty so we sat and suddenly agafia came in with a cup of coffee on a tray it was just after dinner and at that time touchard always drank a cup of coffee in his drawing-room but mother thanked her and did not take the cup as i learned afterwards she never drank coffee in those days as it brought on palpitations of the heart the fact was that touchard inwardly considered her visit and his permitting me to see her an act of great condescension on his part so that the cup of coffee sent her was comparatively speaking a signal proof of humanity which did the utmost credit to his civilization feelings and european ideas and as though on purpose mother refused it i was summoned to touchard and he told me to take all my lesson-books and exercise-books to show my mother that she may see what you have succeeded in attaining in my establishment at that point antonina vasilievna pursing up her lips minced out to me in a jeering and insulting way your mamma does not seem to like our coffee i collected my exercise-books and carried them to my waiting mother passing through the crowd of counts and senators children in the class-room who were staring at mother and me and it actually pleased me to carry out touchard's behests with literal exactitude here are my lessons in french grammar here are my dictation exercises here are the conjugations of the auxiliary verbs avoir and etre here is the geography descriptions of the principal towns of europe and all parts of the world and so on for half an hour or more i went on explaining in a monotonous little voice keeping my eyes sedately cast down i knew that my mother knew nothing of these learned subjects could not perhaps even write but in this too i was pleased with my part 
but i did not succeed in wearying her she listened all the time without interrupting me with extraordinary and even reverent attention so that at last i got tired of it myself and left off her expression was sad however and there was something pitiful in her face she got up to go at last touchard suddenly walked in and with an air of foolish importance asked her whether she was satisfied with her son's progress mother began muttering incoherent thanks antonina vasilievna came up too mother began begging them both not to abandon the orphan who was as good as an orphan now but to treat him with kindness and with tears in her eyes she bowed to them both each separately and to each with a deep bow exactly as simple people bow down when they ask a favour of the gentry the two chars had not expected this and antonina vasilievna was evidently softened and revised her opinion about the cup of coffee to char he mainly responded with even greater dignity that he made no distinction between the children that here all were his children and he was their father that i was almost on an equal footing with the sons of senators and counts and that she ought to appreciate that and so on and so on mother only bowed down but was much embarrassed at last she turned to me and with tears shining in her eyes said good-bye darling she kissed me that is i allowed myself to be kissed she evidently wanted to go on kissing embracing and hugging me but either she herself felt ashamed before company or felt hurt by something else or guessed that i was ashamed of her for she hurriedly went out bowing once more to the two shards i stood still mais suivez donc votre mère said antonina vasilievna il n'a pas de coeur c'est enfant touchard responded by shrugging his shoulders which meant of course it's not without reason that i treat him as a lackey i obediently followed my mother we went out on to the steps i knew that they were all looking at me out of the window mother turned towards the church and crossed herself three times her lips were trembling the deep bell chimed musically and regularly from the belfry she turned to me and could not restrain herself she laid both hands on my head and began crying over it mother stop i'm ashamed they can see from the window she broke out hurriedly well god god be with you the heavenly angels keep you holy mother saint nicolay my god my god she repeated speaking rapidly and making as many signs of the cross over me as she possibly could my darling my darling stay my darling she hurriedly put her hand in her pocket and drew out a handkerchief a blue checked handkerchief with a tightly fastened knot at the corner and began untying the knot but it would not come untied well never mind take it with the handkerchief it's clean it may be of use perhaps there are four fourpenny bits in it perhaps you'll need the money forgive me darling i have not got any more just now forgive me darling i took the handkerchief i wanted to observe that we were allowed very liberal diet by m touchard and antonina vasilievna and were not in need of anything but i restrained myself and took the handkerchief once more she made the sign of the cross over me once more she whispered a prayer and suddenly suddenly bowed to me exactly as she had done to the two shards upstairs a prolonged low bow i shall never forget it then i shuddered i don't know why what had she meant by that bow 
was she confessing the wrong she had done me as i fancied once long afterwards i don't know but at the time it made me more ashamed than ever that they were looking out of window and that lambert would most likely begin beating me at last she went away the apples and oranges had been devoured by the sons of counts and senators and the four fourpenny bits were promptly taken from me by lambert and spent at the confectioners on tarts and chocolates of which i was not offered a taste fully six months had passed and it was a wet and windy october i had quite forgotten about mother oh by then hate a blind hatred of everything had crept into my heart and was its sustenance though i still brushed touchard as before but i hated him with all my might and every day hated him more and more it was then that in the melancholy dusk of one evening i began rummaging for something in my little box and suddenly in the corner i saw her blue cotton handkerchief it had been lying there ever since i had thrust it away i took it out and even looked at it with some interest the corner of the handkerchief still retained the creases made by the knot and even the round impress of the money was distinctly visible i put the handkerchief in again however and pushed the box back it was the eve of a holiday and the bells were ringing for the all-night service the pupils had all gone to their homes after dinner but this time lambert had stayed for sunday i don't know why he hadn't been fetched though he used still to beat me as before he used to talk to me a great deal and often needed me we talked the whole evening about lepage's pistols which neither of us had seen and circassian swords and how they cut how splendid it would be to establish a band of brigands and finally lambert passed to the familiar obscene subjects which were his favourite topics and though i wondered at myself i remember i liked listening suddenly i felt it unbearable and i told him i had a headache at ten o'clock we went to bed i turned away with my head under the quilt and took the blue handkerchief from under my pillow i had for some reason fetched it from the box an hour before and as soon as our beds were made i put it under the pillow i put it to my face and suddenly began kissing it mother mother i whispered and my whole chest contracted as though in a vice i closed my eyes and saw her face with a quivering lips when she crossed herself facing the church and afterwards made the sign of the cross over me and i said to her i'm ashamed they are looking at us mother darling mother were you really with me once mother darling where are you now my far-away visitor do you remember your poor boy whom you came to see show yourself to me just this once come to me if only in a dream just that i may tell you how i love you may hug you and kiss your blue eyes and tell you that i'm not ashamed of you now and tell you that i loved you even then and that my heart was aching then though i simply sat like a lackey you will never know mother how i loved you then mother where are you now do you hear me mother mother do you remember the dove in the country confound him what's the matter with him lambert grumbled from his bed stop it i'll give it you you won't let me sleep he jumped out of bed at last ran to me and began pulling off the bedclothes but i kept tight hold of the quilt which i had wrapped round my head you are blubbering what are you blubbering about you fool i'll give it you and he thumped me he thumped me hard on my back on my side hurting me more and more and and i suddenly opened my eyes it was bright daylight and the snow on the wall was glistening with hoar-frost 
i was sitting huddled up almost frozen and almost numb in my fur coat and someone was standing over me waking me up abusing me loudly and kicking me in the ribs with his right foot i raised myself and looked i saw a man wearing a splendid bear lined coat and a sable cap he had black eyes foppish pitch-black whiskers a hooked nose white teeth grinning at me a face white and red like a mask he bent down over me very close and a frosty vapour came from his lips at each breath frozen the drunken fool you'll freeze like a dog get up get up lambert i cried who ever are you dolgaruki who the devil's dolgaruki simply dolgaruki tushar the one you stuck a fork into in the restaurant ha he cried with a slow smile of recollection could he possibly have forgotten me ha so it's you it's you he lifted me up and put me on my legs i could hardly stand could hardly walk he led me supporting me with his arm he looked into my eyes as though considering and recalling and listening to me intently and i babbled on continuously without pause and i was delighted so delighted to be talking and so delighted too that it was lambert whether for some reason i looked on him as my salvation or whether i pounced on him at that moment because i took him for someone of another world i don't know i did not consider it then but i pounced on him without considering what i said then i don't remember at all and i doubt whether any of it was coherent i doubt whether i even pronounced a word clearly but he listened very attentively he took the first sledge we came upon and within a few minutes i was sitting in his room in the warmth three every man whoever he may be must certainly preserve a recollection of something which has happened to him upon which he looks or is inclined to look as something fantastic exceptional outside the common order of things almost miraculous whether it be a dream a meeting a divination a presentiment or anything of that kind i am to this day inclined to look upon this meeting with lambert as something almost supernatural judging that is from the circumstances and consequences of that meeting it all happened from one point of view however perfectly naturally he was simply returning from one of his nocturnal pursuits the nature of it will be explained later on half drunk and stopping at the gate for a moment caught sight of me he had only been in petersburg a few days the room in which i found myself was small and furnished in an unsophisticated style a typical example of the ordinary petersburg furnished lodgings of the middling sort lambert himself however was very well and expensively dressed on the floor there lay two trunks only half unpacked a corner of the room was shut off by a screen which concealed the bed alphonsine cried lambert présent responded from behind the screen a cracked female voice with a parisian accent and two minutes later mademoiselle alphonsine emerged just out of bed hurriedly dressed in a loose wrapper a queer creature tall and as lean as a rake a brunette with a long waist and a long face with dancing eyes and sunken cheeks who looked terribly the worse for wear make haste he spoke to her in french i translate they must have got a samovar hot water quick red wine and sugar a glass here look sharp he's frozen it's a friend of mine he's been sleeping the night in the snow malheureux she exclaimed with a theatrical air clasping her hands now then he shouted holding up his fingers and speaking exactly as though to a dog she at once desisted and ran to carry out his orders 
he examined me and felt me over tried my pulse touched my forehead and my temple it's strange he muttered that you did not freeze however you were entirely covered with your fur coat head and all so that you were sitting in a sort of nest of fur a glass of something hot arrived i sipped it greedily and it revived me at once i began babbling again i was half lying on the sofa in a corner and was talking all the time i talked even as i sipped but what i said again i scarcely remember moments and even whole intervals of time i have completely forgotten i repeat whether he understood anything of what i said i don't know but one thing i distinctly gathered afterwards and that was that he succeeded in understanding me sufficiently to deduce that he must not take his meeting with me lightly i will explain later in his proper place how he came to make this calculation i was not only extremely lively but at moments i believe cheerful i remember the sun suddenly flooding the room with light when the blinds were drawn up and the crackling stove which some one was lighting who and how i forget i remember too the tiny black lap-dog which mademoiselle alphonsine held in her arms coquettishly pressing it to her heart this lap-dog attracted me so much that i left off talking and twice stretched out towards it but lambert waved his hand and alphonsine with her lap-dog instantly vanished behind the screen he was very silent himself he sat facing me and bending close down to me listened without moving at times he smiled a broad slow smile showing his teeth and screwing up his eyes as though reflecting intensely and trying to guess something i have a clear recollection only of the fact that when i told him about the document i could not express myself intelligibly and tell the story consecutively and from his face i quite saw that he could not understand me but that he would very much have liked to understand so much so that he even ventured to stop me with a question which was risky as at the slightest interruption i broke off and forgot what i was talking of how long we sat and talked like this i don't know and cannot even imagine he suddenly got up and called to alphonsine he needs rest he may have to have the doctor do everything he asks that is vous comprenez ma fille vous avez l'argent no here and he drew out a ten-rouble note he began whispering with her vous comprenez vous comprenez he repeated to her holding up his finger menacingly to her and frowning sternly i saw that she was dreadfully afraid of him i'll come back and you had better go to sleep he said smiling to me and took his cap mais vous n'avez pas dormi de tout maurice alphonsine began pathetically taisez vous je dormirai après and he went out sauvez she murmured pathetically pointing after him monsieur monsieur she began declaiming at once taking up an attitude in the middle of the room jamais homme ne fut si cruel si bismarck que cet être qui regarde une femme comme ou salaté de hasard une femme qu'est-ce que ce dans notre époque tu la voilà le dernier mot de l'académie française i stared at her open-eyed i saw everything double i had a vision of two alphonsines i suddenly noticed that she was crying i started and realized that she had been talking to me for a long time and that i must have been asleep or unconscious et là de quoi m'aurait servi de la découvrir plutôt she exclaimed et n'aurais je pas autant cogné à tenir ma honte cachée toute ma vie peut-être n'est 
il pas honnête à une demoiselle de s'appliquer si librement devant monsieur mais enfin je vous avoue que s'il m'était permis de vouloir quelque chose au oh, ce serait de lui plonger au oh, que mon couteau mais en détournant les yeux de peur que son regard exécrable ne fît trembler mon bras et ne glaça mon courage il a assassiné ce pape russe monsieur il lui arracha sa barre pour la vendre à un artiste en chevaux au pont de maréchaux tout près de la maison de monsieur andrieux au nouveauté article de paris linge chemise vous savez n'est-ce pas au oh, monsieur quand l'amitié rassemble à table espouse enfant sœur ami quand un vive à la graisse enflamme mon cœur je veux le demander monsieur est-il bonheur préférable à celui dont tu jouis mais il rit monsieur ce montre exécrable et inconcevable et si ce n'était pas par l'entremise de monsieur andrieux jamais oh jamais je ne serai mais quoi monsieur qu'avez-vous monsieur she rushed up to me i believe i had an attack of shivering perhaps a fainting fit i cannot express what a painful and miserable impression this half-crazy creature made upon me she imagined perhaps that she had been commanded to entertain me at any rate she did not leave my side for one instant she had perhaps at one time or another been on the stage she declaimed in a terrible way pirouetted talked incessantly while i had long been silent all i could understand from her story was that she had been closely connected with la maison de monsieur andrieux haute nouveauté article de paris etc and perhaps was one of the family of la maison de monsieur andrieux but she had somehow been torn for ever from monsieur andrieux par ce monstre furieux et inconcevable and that was the point of the tragedy she sobbed but i fancied that this was all part of the performance and that she was not really crying at all sometimes i fancied that she would suddenly drop to pieces like a skeleton she articulated her words in a jangling broken voice the word preferable for instance she pronounced preferable and on the syllable a positively bad like a sheep coming to myself on one occasion i found her executing a pirouette in the middle of the room but she was not actually dancing the pirouette had some connection with her story and she was simply impersonating some figure in it suddenly she rushed and opened a little old out-of-tune piano that was in the room and began strumming on it and singing i believe that for ten minutes or more i lost consciousness completely i fell asleep but the lap-dog yelped and i waked up again for a moment consciousness returned completely and suddenly flooded my mind with light i jumped up in horror lambert i am at lambert's i thought and snatching up my hat i rushed to my fur coat où allez-vous monsieur cried the vigilant alphonsine i want to get out i want to go away let me out don't keep me oui monsieur alphonsine assented vigorously and she rushed to open the door into the corridor herself mais ce n'est pas loin monsieur 
c'est pas loin du tout ça ne vaut pas la peine de mettre votre chouba c'est ici près monsieur she shouted for the benefit of the whole corridor running out of the room i turned to the right par ici monsieur c'est par ici she shouted at the top of her voice clutching at my coat with her long bony fingers and with the other hand pointing to the left of the corridor where i did not at all want to go i broke away and ran to the outer door opening on to the stairs il s'en va il s'en va alphonsine ran after me shouting in her cracked voice mais il me tuera monsieur il me tuera but i was already on the stairs and though she ran after me downstairs i succeeded in opening the front door dashing out into the street and jumping into the first sledge i met i gave the driver my mother's address Four but the clear consciousness that had flickered up for one moment was soon dimmed i still have a faint recollection of the drive and being taken up to my mother's but there i sank almost at once into complete unconsciousness next day as they told me afterwards and indeed i remember it myself i had a moment of lucidity again i found myself in versilov's room and on his sofa i remember around me the faces of versilov my mother liza i remember particularly versilov speaking to me about zertchikov and about prince sergey and showing me some letter to soothe me they told me afterwards that i kept asking with horror about someone called lambert and kept hearing the barking of some lapdog but the faint light of consciousness was soon quenched again by the evening of the second day i was completely prostrate with brain fever but i will anticipate events and explain what had happened when i had run out in the street from zertchikoff's that evening and when calm had been restored there zertchikoff who had returned to the table proclaimed aloud that a regrettable mistake had been made the missing money four hundred roubles had been found in a pile of other money and the bank account turned out to be quite correct then prince sergey who had remained in the room went up to zertchikoff and insisted that he should make a public declaration of my innocence and should moreover send me an apology in the form of a letter zertchikoff on his side accepted this suggestion as a very proper one and promised in the presence of all to send me next day a letter of explanation and apology prince sergey gave him versilov's address and versilov did in fact receive next day a letter addressed to me in zertchikoff's hand and more than thirteen hundred roubles belonging to me which i had left on the roulette table and so the affair with zertchikoff ended this joyful news did much to hasten my recovery when i regained consciousness when prince sergey returned from the gambling saloon that night he wrote two letters one to me and the other to his old regiment in which he had behaved so scandalously to cornet stepanov he dispatched both letters next morning after that he wrote a report for the authorities and with that report in his hand he went early in the morning to the officer in command of his regiment and announced to him that he a common criminal who had taken part in the forging of the x railway shares surrendered to justice and asked to be tried therewith he handed him the report in which all this was set out in writing he was arrested here is the letter he wrote to me that night word for word precious arkady makarovitch having tried the lackey's way of escape i have lost the right to comfort my soul a little with the thought that i was able in the end to dare to do what was just and fine i have sinned against my fatherland and against my family and for this i the last of my family am punishing myself 
i don't know how i could have caught at the bare idea of self-preservation and for a time have dreamed of buying them off with money i should have still remained to all eternity a criminal in my conscience even if those people had given back the notes that compromised me they would never have been induced to let me alone as long as i lived what remained to live with them to be on a level with them all my life that was the fate awaiting me i could not accept it and have at last found in myself strength enough or perhaps only despair enough to act as i am acting now i have written a letter to my old regiment to my fellow-officers clearing stepanov's character this is not and cannot be an atonement it is only the last will and testament of a man who will be dead to-morrow that is how one must look at it forgive me for turning away from you in the gambling saloon it was because at the moment i was not sure of you now that i am a dead man i can make this confession from the other world poor liza she knows nothing of this decision let her not curse me but judge of it herself i cannot defend myself and cannot even find the words to explain anything to her i must tell you too arkady makarovitch that when she came to me yesterday morning for the last time i confessed that i had deceived her and owned that i had been to anna andreyevna with the intention of making her an offer i could not seeing her love keep this upon my conscience in face of my last determination and i told her she forgave me she forgave everything but i could not believe her it is not forgiveness in her place i could not forgive remember me a little your unhappy friend the last prince sokolsky i lay unconscious for exactly nine days End of part two chapter nine